Lady Gwen, thank you for joining us. Hey, it's very, very nice to be with you. It's our 400th episode. Episode 400. Congratulations. That's exciting. Yeah. Danny and Cersei join us on this ride today. Also, Dario, Barris, and Selmy, the Bloody Flux, Cersei and all of her friends. Maggie the Frog, Prophecy. Maggie the Frog, Magi the Frog. Did you reread <laughs> the chapters in preparation for the episode? Lady Gwen, or did you skim it because you know it so well? No, I totally reread them. If somebody yes. doesn't reread before talking about the chapters, that's the most baller move I've heard in <laughs> I've my heard life. of it before. Aziz never rereads them. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Every time he comes on the podcast. Bold. He's yeah. just like, ah, I read the wiki. He's like, no, I've got it. I got it. That's We're good. The Cersei one I'm pretty good with. I am actually um, literally have to reread all the, whenever I'm talking about Danny because... They're all the same. Yeah. I, mean, I, get, I get things confused. So. <laughs> it doesn't feel like I'm reading the information for the first time necessarily, but it's kind of like when we go back on rewatch the throne and you're rewatching the episodes. It's just with the context of everything else, the details that you should be looking for or maybe you missed before really come to the forefront and uh, the motivations of the characters as well kind of stick out. And uh, we have two chapters today where I think – it's very obvious how we're supposed to feel about these characters. And I had a lot of fun reading these just before recording today. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed them both. The stench of the camp was so appalling. It was all that Danny could do not to gag. I didn't enjoy that part. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Barrison wrinkled up his nose and said, Your grace should not be here breathing these black humors. I feel really bad for Danny in this chapter. And I'm excited to dive into the details of it because it's a pretty depressing. I think that. We kind of get stuck in where in Marine with Danny for quite some time, um, and it's a little bit of a slog. But I think this chapter is especially depressing and sad as we really, literally get down and dirty with um, all of these people that she desperately wants to help but cannot figure out a way. Like her hands are tied, and she can't figure out a way to do the most good. So to really see that up close and personal, and as we describe the stench of the camp and the dirt and the sickness and all of that um, made me really feel for everything that Daenerys is trying to accomplish and how much of an uphill battle that is. It is, and she takes so much of it personally She's mm-hmm. because this is the result of her mistakes that she's made, um, arguably. So it's pretty tragic to be in her head seeing this stuff that she can't change when she wants so desperately yeah to be able to heal everybody yeah something i thought was interesting um at the beginning of this is as she first arrives into this camp and she begins to kind of go through everybody shouting to her calling her mother in all these different dialects and languages and it just, I think, really highlights how far she's come to get to this point and how many people she has a mass responsibility of. And I think that that is such a great way of putting even more weight onto her shoulders of not only these people who call her mother, but it's not just, I mean, it's its mainly Dastapori, but I mean, it just, I think, highlights the amount of people that she's thinking about and trying to save and and it's such a noble cause, whether that's productive or not, or whether that's the right thing she should be doing or not. You know, that's major debates that I think all of us have had uh, through A Song of Ice and Fire, but it definitely is noble. And um, I think that that kind of really highlighted the weight that that has on her shoulders. 
What did you guys think about her physically getting near the bloody flux after hearing and and seeing the vast, vast devastation that it had spread across the Astapori people that have been begging and crawling and dragging their their bodies across the desert to be near Marine for the chance of some kind of comfort of, of her going directly into them and, and touching them and putting herself and her, her men and her friends in possible danger. I think uh, that you, hi- sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'll say you highlight. Well, I mean, it's not only just her, but also all of her friends and all like her, so much of her inner circle. She puts them in danger as well. I wondered about that, putting them in danger. She seems to have this um, faith that she's not going to get sick. It's almost, you know, she's clinging to this myth. myth. Well, maybe it's not a myth, but um, about Targaryens not falling the dragons prey can't to sickness. Get sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wondered about how, if it was just very foolhardy of her to, especially when she brought out the Unsullied. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All of her best men. Yeah. Clearly yeah. she's never heard of the dragon pox. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Even if she herself is immune, even if that is actually true, you know, whatever, she can take that risk for herself. But she basically shames everyone into helping her. They use the word, George uses that word that, after a while, they the, sh- the shame overtook them, and they started helping, stacking bodies and burning bodies with black smoke. I think we and, can understand uh, that impulse, absolutely. But whether it was wise, you know, I don't know. I don't think it was wise. We know that those who she had ordered before to help had been stricken with the flux as well, and it's just kind of been one of those compounding issues. Mm-hmm. And we've heard about it, and it's going to be a specter later on in the series, but I forgot how powerful it was and how detailed it was when we were actually here walking around in it for the first time. It was It's something that you can't ignore. It's a, It feels like a bigger threat than an army coming because this is something that you know has so definitely destroyed people. But at the same time, we're walking around inside of it and we can't assume that all of these people are going to get an infectious disease and that's how the story marine's going to end no but they do a good job like putting the uh making you feel that dread that what if oh mm-hmm. this is pretty scary i read a passage please. out of the book that's really gross <laughs> no please This is for everyone at home. A little bit of context if you're not reading with us today. Little children with swollen stomachs trailed after them, too weak or scared to beg. Gaunt men with sunken eyes squatted amidst sand and stones, shitting out their lives in stinking streams of brown and red. Many shat where they slept now, too feeble to crawl to the ditches she'd commanded them to dig. Two women fought over a charred bone. Nearby, a boy of ten stood eating a rat. He ate one-handed, the other clutching a sharpened stick, lest anyone try to wrest away his prize. Unburied dead lay everywhere. Danny saw one man sprawled in the dirt under a black cloak, but as she rode past, his cloak dissolved into a thousand flies. Skeletal women sat upon the ground, clutching dying infants. Their eyes followed her. Those who had the strength called out, Mother, please, Mother bless you mother and that's the thing that strikes her mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like how dare you bless me i've done this to you mm-hmm. yeah there's very a lot of guilt there um i just want to say that the the cloak of black flies is the really one of the grossest things for some reason that really really bothers me mm-hmm. wouldn't you love to see that adapted though in the series <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah it's a lot 
It's horrible. Actually, the boy eating the rat it reminded me of Theon, and it made me wonder. Well, we're pretty far removed from the Theon chapter, but it's the same book where he eats a rat. So I think it was those little things. Maybe four or five episodes ago on the podcast that we did it right. No, we just did that Reek one. Yeah, we did just do a Reek chapter. It was the the Reek. I guess it was Reek two is when he woke up there in the dungeons and he was so happy to have his hands on the rat. And yeah, it, I guess you can understand how they feel. Except these people are out in the desert and they're just surrounded by each other. Yeah, yeah, and you know everything. As I said, anything you can say about Daenerys's decisions, and especially by the end of the chapter as she makes the choice to keep them out, I think that. The overshadow here is the line where she says, I cannot heal them, but I can show them that their mother cares. And something I really like about her in this chapter is that she is willing to give up herself um, mm. to, I mean, it's just, she really believes in what she's trying to do. And so she's here to kind of inspire them and give up herself and possibly put herself in danger in order to do as much as she can, which is really just be a presence and be be a, a hope to them regardless of how that makes her feel yeah I mean, it starts with her with that moment of self-sacrifice out there in the camp but then it, it goes on in the chapter with a pretty serious bit of self-sacrifice mm-hmm. she with his dar so well, his dar I know. <laughs> had to say the name we'll have a thousand nights together don't worry <laughs> Go to your storm crew. <laughs> Poor his dar. Poor his He's like, it's okay if we don't do any of these traditions. It's fine. It's fine. I thought he'd be a little bit more mad about it. but No, he's getting nope. what he wants. And the fighting pits weren't much of an issue this time either. She was just like, all right, I give up. I was just out in the field with all those people dying. Figure it out. If you guys want to have just blood on the streets in here, that's on your hands. Yeah, fine. Right. On your head be it. She's mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Don't do it in my name. King Hisdar, go for it. King Hisdar. <laughs> I do like that in spite of the fact that she's going to basically sell herself to win this, you know, whatever, win peace. And she agrees to a lot of things. She kind of draws the line at being subservient or humiliated still. Mm-hmm. She's not going to she's not going to let them paw her body or she's not going to wash his feet. And- there was that line where it says, but what they really wanted was to strip her bare. And I thought I thought maybe mm. it was figurative. And then in the next paragraph, they were literally asking her. They were like, well, you have to appear naked in front of his entire family and friends, right? <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. Strange Giscari custom. It was. I liked her response. And ultimately, she said, you know, let them inspect each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> she said, they see what they the find. Special cake. <laughs> oh, God. That special cake was hilarious. Uh-huh. It was like, <laughs> but there's cake. It was like portal. It was like, uh, I know this sounds really terrible, but there's a cake that you know no one gets to eat but you and that's pretty cool right and she's like i don't know man a cake (laughs) it's not even worth it for that she's like i guess his dar could inspect me i guess if anybody's gonna do it it's gonna be him Mm -hmm. on the night of our wedding he can expect me as much as he'd like (laughs) but his mother no thank you yeah (laughs) What, what did you guys make of the contrast of the halves of these chapters we had the uh the second half sort of ushered in by the argument over who's going to sleep next with Ricaro. Mm-hmm. And it seems so shallow compared to we've got a kid that is holding a rat in one hand that he's eating. I'm assuming he didn't cook it. I don't know how mm-hmm. much that really matters. And the other hand mm-hmm. is like sticks. He's ready to beat people off with it. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like that's, that's a very 
And that's not the worst part, but these are very vivid visuals. I mean, we can imagine that this is a pretty horrific time and it puts Danny in a state of mind where she's accepting a lot of these things that she wouldn't normally accept. And then mm -hmm. we've got her handmaidens are, you know, arguing about this stuff. And then we've got Resnick, more Resnick. We've got the Green Grace just talking about the fighting pits, just trying to fit everything in at the end of the conversation while she's clearly not there in her mind. It seems like they're just kind of cram stuff in and take advantage of the situation. And I was wondering what you guys thought about George R. R. Martin's intention for the contrasting halves these chapters were was. I don't know. I think um, there's definitely a contrast. I don't know what his intention was. I I just thought she's her response to the handmaids was basically you guys shut up. <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> like Cersei would do, right? Yeah, Being just, so annoyed just, with kingly duties for the yeah. day. It's just a really short response, too mean. Yeah, I've just had it with you guys. Like this is the most <laughs> ridiculous argument I've ever heard. He's mine. Now go away. <laughs> now be quiet. I need to take a bath. Yeah. <laughs> also help me with this bath. Can we talk about that bath though? Wait, is that around the time? So there's some point in time when Masunday hears. I wanted to ask you guys this question. Sorry to yeah, derail your yes. question, but Masunday hears some scratching. Scratching, yeah. And I know I was just curious what everybody thought about that because you just didn't want to answer my question. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we can. I can answer your question and then ask this question. But the whole bath thing just reminded me of that piece that was kind of weird i thought and a little bit creepy i didn't know if because i don't think we have an answer to it but i feel like it's kind of an interesting piece to call out maybe it's the dragons that's the the dragons is kind of what i think too although i don't know that it's allowed but i did i read some danny chapters elsewhere oh, it's allowed. yeah <laughs> and miss and i dreams about noises every night she comes mm -hmm. in and says, I heard you crying. I heard you screaming. I mean, sometimes it's because she was having sex, but sometimes it's she it seems like she has a lot of dreams about weird noises. Um, so I, I was trying to figure it out, but I didn't have enough time to like really Maybe work out this up to what's, that. what's going on with Miss Andi. But I kind of suspect that noise is the dragons, although... I guess it could be something else. Yeah, I had thought, thought had thought possibly dragons too, but I like this idea that you bring up that it could also be just like a broader thing going on with Missende and yeah. something you know, kind of playing into something else. But I have no idea. I just thought it was a little, it was like kind of creepy almost. So, almost like she has some kind of empathic connection with Tanny or something. Mm -hmm. Would there be something particularly like? I guess just thinking about the Astapori outside of her walls, maybe she's preoccupied. It could, yeah, it could be that. But, you know, it still could be the dragons because Danny also feels, well, you don't really see it in that chapter, but she's got all this guilt about locking up her dragons too. So she's got a lot of guilt. Yeah, she really does. The poor thing. I just want to give her a big hug. I know. That's why, <laughs> that's why everything that happens with Dario, I'm like, get it, girl, because she. She has a lot on her plate, <laughs> so she needs a break. Dario, in the series we just recorded, we watched The Throne a couple hours ago, he swims one mile to this strange island to get her some wildflowers and then swims that mile back and then climbs the out exterior of the Great Pyramid, sneaks through her window uh, just to say hi. I feel like both of these Dario's need to meet 
reconcile the differences and help Daenerys out in the situation because she's really got like his star and his friends otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. Barristan's a good comfort, but he's he's all business right now. It's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. He's like her grandfather. I mean, right. they call him that. That's her grandfather. So that's what she's looking for then. Yeah. She's looking her for grandfather. just like the right kind of comfort. Yeah. It's a tough day. Yeah. I mean, you know, she needs, she needs, some days you just need more than, you know, grandpa patting you on the head. Right. So and you're doing fine, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> but I just went out in the field today, touched a bunch of people with the bloody flux, burned my clothes, and Darnaris is back. High five. It was awesome that. The way Barristan cut into the meeting with the Green Grace and Resnick and Shave Pate and was like, by the way, Dario's here. But the way he said it was in a way to relieve her of the annoyance of his Dar, even though he normally is very annoyed with Dario, he knew that this would be good news for her. Yeah. And I like really nice. She was just like, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> I am all about leaving this dinner and <laughs> going up to meet Dario. Oh, yeah. George wrote, she was a young girl and alone, and young girls can change their minds. <laughs> she pieces out, and then she tries and on a hundred different dresses. Yeah. Sometimes she is just a, yeah, she's a young girl, you know? She is. You really see I think, that. Zach, that goes back to a little bit what you were trying to ask before I interrupted your question with another question. Um, but the juxtaposition between everything that's going on in this chapter between what's happening outside the gates of Marine, between what's happening with his dar Zalorak, between what's happening with the customs and the fighting pits and the traditions and the people who are trying to kill her in every part of the world and slavery and, you know, all of this stuff is going on. And I think that a theme that we're often reminded with with Daenerys is that she is just a girl and she's just, uh, she's young and she's just trying to figure it out and she's just trying to do her best and that those while she you know dismisses everybody gossiping and things like that those kind of young tendencies are still woven so much through her narrative and i don't say that even as a bad thing i just think that um that's just another way to highlight kind of everything she's trying to deal with as she here at the back end of the chapter is just trying to like chill and like be a normal person that would be doing what she would be doing at her age if she wasn't didn't have the weight of the world on her shoulders i'm nodding my head okay. yeah i was gonna say well put i was like, oh, yeah. no. I was like i hope jim no. jumps in right now like, totally inaudible <laughs> agreement so okay, good dario was cartoonishly dario uh he, he says this about his wounds first he's dripping blood and daenerys is very concerned with it as she should be he was fighting for her after all she asks what happened. He's got a gash near his left temple. He says, a crossbowman tried to put a quarrel through my eye, but I outrode it. I was hurrying home to my queen to bask in the warmth of her smile. Can't you imagine him, like, not having any blood on him? And then he knows he's about to go in with Danny, so he puts, like, a little bit in his hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it looks more, right. more intense. Yes. Or, like, how many streams they pass on the way home. Like, you could wash, it's but... Like, no. 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 I love that visual. <laughs> I think it's so funny. He talks about reaching his arm down a traitor's throat and pulling out his heart. And uh, Danny says something in response. And Barristan's like, very gallant. Poor Barristan hates this <laughs> In guy. a tone that suggested anything. But but he's got to sit through it because the, I mean, he just saw her hanging out with those other people. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dario's a decent fix for the time being. I know yeah. some people don't like Dario, but... 
I don't mind him. <laughs> yeah, I don't find it. I'm pretty sure that's a generous quote from this chapter, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe I just like I know people have strong feelings. Well, maybe not strong, but I know that people don't like him that much, mm-hmm. and so I think that sometimes these situations can come off as annoying to some people. Hmm. But I don't mind them. Yeah. What do you think about Dario? I uh, don't trust him. You know, I think that's fair. So, is it the blue ble- beard or the weird daggers? Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just don't think he's trustworthy. Ultimately, it's actually more stuff that that happens later. Like in this chapter, he's just a he's just a braggart. You know, yeah, just, mm-hmm. he's there and he's not really my type, but he's fine. You know, Danny likes mm-hmm. him, but um. It comes in later when I start to really think, boy, you shouldn't trust a sellsword, Danny. You know? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. That's the thing about sellswords. They sell their sword. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? And he doesn't like her as much as he likes the fact that she's a queen. You said you've been with a hundred women before and he goes a hundred. More like a thousand, but never a dragon. Yeah. Well, what are you waiting for? Boom. <laughs> Boom. That's what Danny says. Your clothes are stained with blood. Take them off. <laughs> He does come with some interesting news, though. On his return, he, well, he confirms that Young Kai is on the march, mm-hmm. uh, which we basically already knew was going to happen. Old stale news. Mm-hmm. I, I said old stale news. Isn't that yeah. what uh, uh-huh. Shay Pei <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We get it, Dario. Um, and then he also, I thought this is interesting, he talks about all the men he gathered along his journey, including deserters from the Windblown, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then also, News of Brown Ben Plum uh, being a traitor or whatever, which Danny's not very happy about. But cue mm-hmm. the prophecy talk for the rest of this episode. Mm-hmm. I know. I was say. <laughs> <laughs> do we get into prophecies now, or do we wait until we get into the Cersei chapter? I don't yeah, know. I'm really disappointed you you didn't mention the Carthine Camelry that's also headed toward Marine. I mean, that oh, sounds yeah. like a My dastardly bad. foe. <laughs> Can you imagine all of those strong Carthy nobles and all of their strong, I'm sure, soldiers they've purchased from elsewhere riding on camels <laughs> toward Marine? It feels like that's not a very fast and efficient way to travel, but I don't know a lot about camels. so I've never heard the word camelry before. No, I don't think I haven't either in you know any like, military history setting. Camelry. They sound very gallant. <laughs> Three treasons you will know, once for gold and once for blood and once for love. Hmm. Was Plum the third treason or the second one? Mm. And what did that make Sir Jorah? And what did that make Sir Jorah, her gruff old bear? Would she never have a friend that she could trust? Hmm. What good are prophecies if you cannot make sense of them? Hmm. If I marry his daughter before the sun comes up, will all these armies melt away like morning dew and let me rule in peace? Hmm. I do feel for her. I feel for her, too. Do you believe in prophecy, Lady Gwen? Yeah, well, yeah. And if we're going to talk about one I really do think it was a pretty good prophecy a little bit later. But uh, Danny's, you know, I think Danny's are the kind that are going to make sense in hindsight. I find them very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting what she says about what good are prophecies if you don't understand them? Mm. Very um, meta. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that, I don't know what you guys think, but I feel like that is 
not true. <laughs> I feel like that would be, if you under, fully understood a prophecy, why would you need it? I don't know. Fair point. Yeah. I was struck by how in our face they were in both of these chapters. I don't know if it was because we've ordered them specifically back to back and that that thread was so strong because of it, or if it was just interesting because George R. R. Martin chose not to be so secretive about it and to kind of offer up a different sort of confusion associated with prophecy rather than like the original kind, you know, the KFC kind where it's like, who knows what they're going to say? Who knows what they're going to do? Find out when Quaith comes by. Rather, this time it's just kind of we're in their head and they're revisiting the, the prophecy sort of in a way that we would think about it. Good point. It's weird, right? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> the way they think about it, it just seems so like in your face and non-mysterious. And it doesn't seem like the sort of thing an author would do if they were trying to make us be confused very much. It's a different kind of confusion. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Not taking it too seriously, but also it is serious. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you have any theories about these three treasons, Lady Gwen? Have you guys talked about it much on Radio Westeros? Um, we have. A little bit, and I, because we did do a prophecy episode, and we may have talked about it in the Danny episode too. But I don't know. I mean, I think Jora and Brown Ben Plum, because she says them, are good favorites. But I actually think that we haven't seen most of all of the, tri- you know, the triads that are in that that mm-hmm. whole thing. I I think that a lot of that has still yet to be revealed. Um, like she, almost like she's jumping the gun in trying to slot her life into into all of those things right now. Like maybe she's trying to get it behind her, yeah. figure it out now. Like mm-hmm. Marine's the right. hill that I climb, and instead it's like no, Marine was just a path. Yeah, on like the way I, to the hill that you're going to climb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I could get through this, then it'll all be over and it'll be smooth sailing. Maybe she's thinking, but. I don't know. I just think a lot of it is yet to even happen. I like that. Maybe it's just because I don't. <laughs> I guess I don't so do have good ideas about what Josh it is. Josh <laughs> Snow is going to turn on her? Is that going to be love? Is that it? I, well, I don't. I See, I don't see that as. I don't see what's going to happen with her and John as necessarily being um, a betrayal. So I'm not sure betrayal for love because i think it'll be her choice and it'll be like a mutual decision like do you think she's going to sacrifice herself mm-hmm. oh <laughs> now we're getting into your real feelings today <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so sad yeah after all this after she was the kind of leader in this chapter that Jon snow would be mm-hmm. super infatuated with walking through the camp and you know, teaching, yeah. treating the wildlings just like they were one of us. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, but let's talk about her self sacrifice. I mean, we've said it already, like several times, right? She went out into the into the camps, you know, at risk, at personal risk. Whether she actually believes that Targaryens can't get sick, um, there was a personal risk, and then she's sacrificing herself to his dar uh, to bring peace. You know, she's def- this chapter shows her that that's a personality trait she has i think definitely one day in the future we'll look back and say see that 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Danny Six in A Dance with Dragons. We saw mm-hmm. how much self-sacrifice she had in her. So Not afraid to put her men in harm's way either. Right. right. I don't think she took it very seriously, but that's fine. Grey Worm and his friends were going to go wash in the salt water as per their customs. And then that really interesting bit where Grey Worm talks about the goddess that the Unsullied share together. That was really cool. That they don't speak of. I thought that mm-hmm. was interesting. But I think that that just is another piece of kind of her, the way she handles her philosophy, which is she has these very grandiose ideas and these very like sweeping black and white views of things. Um, and she does everything in her power as nobly as her intentions are to fulfill those things, even if it's putting somebody in harm's way, like Mm -hmm. even if it's, you know, possibly putting herself in harm's way, as we're saying, if it's putting her men in harm's way, if it's like putting her people, maybe in not the smartest way to move forward. You know, I think she is more than happy to, for her ideals, push forward anyway and just kind of figure it out on the back end. Well, we see how well it turned out for Astapor. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah. Do you think she's putting Marine in the same kind of harm's way with agreeing to give his daughter all this power? Mm-hmm. She's, I feel like she's kind of ignoring a lot of details. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just to push it through and to hope that it helps everything else quickly. It seems, it's kind of scattershot. You know, she's just kind of like throwing something at, at it at the wall. You know, mm-hmm. see, see if this sticks. Um bunch of mixed metaphors but <laughs> <laughs> they work yeah. she's just hoping because she just wants peace you know so what does she got to do to get it marry his star hang out with shave pate i mean i guess yeah. it could be a worse there is dario mm-hmm. for now there's dario yeah what a pickle daenerys yeah well <laughs> Here we are. The Miranese, not Titans, for lack of yeah. better words. Yeah. It's like, it's so hard not to have the same conversation about Danny uh-huh. every time we talk about her. What did you guys think about the chapter overall? Kind of like what I think of, well, they get better. The Danny chapters and dance get better. So it was yeah. um, pretty grim. And then, um, Zach, did you call Dario cartoony? Cartoony yeah. Dario? Should, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good description. And so that's, you know, the ending. What are you waiting um, for? <laughs> <laughs> but they're literally burning my plague clothes right now. <laughs> Let's burn yours just in case. <laughs> she said near his purple beard. <laughs> Man, I would have loved to see Dario in his actual real Dario-ness. It would have oh, just, hell I probably yeah. would just have laughed at him the whole time. <laughs> it rocks. I had my contact lens prescription renewed in under five minutes this month using an awesome new app called Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts lets you renew your prescription and reorder your brand of lenses from anywhere in minutes through an online self-guided vision test. Every test is designed and reviewed by doctors, so they're literally bringing the doctor's office to your home. Think of how much time you save compared to making an appointment, getting to the eye doctor, taking time off for it. Their vision test is only $20, the prices for their lenses are unbeatable, and the shipping is free. But remember, their vision test is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. I did use my current prescription, not the online vision test. But if you do use their online vision test, it will test that the current prescription still helps you see 2020 and then renew that prescription. They don't write completely new prescriptions or examine your eye's health. 
I've been looking for an easy way to order contacts off the internet for a long time. And I'm glad that this came by the podcast because it solved a lot of problems for me. And I'm now actually wearing them instead of not having them and spending extremely blurry days outside. Listeners of the podcast can get $30 off their first Simple Contacts order. If you head to simplecontacts.com slash owns or enter the code OWNS at checkout, you will get $30 off your first Simple Contacts order. That is simplecontacts.com slash owns or enter code OWNS at checkout. Well, have you guys exhausted all of your power for the Miranese not today? Yeah, yes. I'm so amped to talk about Cersei. Me too. I think you said you needed 56 hours to talk about the Cersei chapter, Hannah, right before we started. You texted me that. I was, texting, I was like, I wish I had way more time to prepare because I feel like this is the chapter that we're all pretty familiar with because of this is like the biggest layout we get of this prophecy. Mm-hmm. But I just have a lot of questions. I think there's a lot of questions about what's going on with Loris and with this Waters guy and... um. Cersei is just in rare form and Tommen <laughs> is with some kittens and then we get this dream that she has and I think that there's just a lot of interesting unanswered questions that I can't wait for all of you to answer for me so that I can be smarter. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I love listening to smarter people talk about things. Mm. <laughs> My biggest takeaway was how far up in the mander these Ironmen are. Mm. Yeah. I'm so excited for Old Town. Mm-hmm. and what might happen there. Mm-hmm. I like how everything's being laid out, but geez, Loris Tyrell just becoming the person that everyone knew he was. It said he was the first when they broke through Dragonstone to fight, the first through swinging his Morningstar around. It's one of those, it's not a flail. It's not the thing with the chain at the ball at the end, everyone. It's a weird spiked club with a whole bunch of stuff on it. In old video games I used to play when I was a kid, it's usually ogres that carry these around like big, huge ogres. Big people. Mm. Right. And it's Loris Tyrell, strong and beautiful, running into the fray and almost dying. I mean, this, when I read it for the first time, obviously the show didn't adapt it anywhere near in this way. And I felt like I was really getting a treat. And it was awesome to reread again. Mm-hmm. It's like he's on a suicide mission. Well, yeah. Almost. Which yeah. kind of was. Yeah. He kind of was. So it's it's sad. I found it sad. But it's also cool. I found it really sad. I also thought, you know, he was also really angry because Cersei wasn't going to release the fleet to go defend mm-hmm. the Reach, you know? So he was just like in this super hurry to just get it over with. Yeah. You know, get this siege over with. And, and then he's got this suicidal tendency. It's like he wanted to clear out his foes as quickly as possible because that meant that would they would be home. Mm-hmm. quick as possible and that's why he was at the very front it's pretty cool yeah rain Waters says and this was after cersei was asking about loras he says i never saw a braver knight but he turned what could have been a bloodless victory into a slaughter a thousand men are dead or near enough to make no matter most of them our own and not just common men your grace but knights and young lords the best and the bravest and that's i thought paralleled very interestingly with all the dead people that we saw outside of the gates of marine it was like well I don't know if it really matters that they're knights and young lords, but I I get what they're saying here. And it's just, you know, interesting when you see how people in Westeros and the different classes feel about people that are not in their class and how casually these things are said and they don't matter. Like 
Cersei has a lot of internal thoughts in these chapters, but something like this is just totally wrote to her. She's like, yeah, of course, they're not worth anything. Right. It's like a blip on her radar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially when we think, like, in the context of what she thinks about her own children and her uh-huh. own son in this chapter. Mm. It's like people who are far away, who are faceless and nameless. Mm. Yeah. Or other dwarves. Yep. Not so much. Yeesh. Yeah. She asks to hear the story twice so she doesn't forget any of the details. <laughs> so she that was cold, like, man. Don't want to forget any details. She can tell Marjorie herself so she can. And then later on in the chapter, when she's thinking about the taste of Marjorie's salty tears Oof. and how that kind of helps her sleep, um, it's just like, okay. And then Marjorie is very convinced that dying is not dead. And I think if. We are to read into the way Marjorie responds. I know there's like theories and questions about Loris and the Tyrell intentions here and kind of is there some sort of conspiracy theory happening or Mm -hmm. is Loris actually dead or, you know, all this kind of stuff. So as I was kind of like listening or not listening to, I was reading it, um, this little exchange between Marjorie and Cersei here, I was just thinking how much I would die for a Marjorie point of view in this context and how interesting it would be to kind of see where they're at in this story from mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. would be so fascinating. What conspiracies are you talking about? Um, <laughs> do people think that Loris is totally okay? Some people do. Mm-hmm. Or really? Yeah. 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 Or that, that Cersei is kind of being manipulated in this scenario by the Tyrells to mm-hmm. make certain decisions. And RN Waters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In benefit of the Tyrell cause. Which oh, would not surprise me because I'm sh- quite sure the Tyrells are, you know, they're manipulating her way more than she- she's paranoid about them throughout this whole book. But I don't think for the right reasons. I don't think she realizes what's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you think that Marjorie knows or they wouldn't risk it potentially? Well, that's one of the things mm. is that maybe Marjorie's in on this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that if you read into Marjorie's response to Cersei telling her everything, um, like she doesn't react in a way that people may think she needs to react or that she, to me, it's decently clear that regardless of if the conspiracy theories or not, she can definitely read Cersei much better than Cersei thinks she can mm-hmm. be read mm-hmm. um, and that her intentions are very obvious with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not that actually plays into these theories, I don't know. But I think Marjorie is in on something um, or at least is very highly aware of what is happening. What do you think, Jen? I think kind of the same. I mean, I th- she's she's obviously been in on quite a bit. So far, mm-hmm. going back to the Purple Wedding, um, I, I think Marjorie is pretty smart. She's her grandmother's granddaughter. You know, she's she's like definitely, I would say, maybe an apprentice of Elena in, in that sort of savvy department. Um, I just think Cersei is way overmatched. She thinks that she's very clever. and subtle and she's about as subtle as a sledgehammer yeah (laughs) (laughs) but she doesn't know that it's so funny i find it so funny to read her chapters if that's what's going on here how embarrassing for cersei oh my 
gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this changes things a lot, and it makes the prophecy in the same chapter really stick out. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. like how Valencar was ma- mentioned early mm. by the guy who was the Tairashi guy who was trying to sell, or you know, like, oh, this this is definitely Tyrion. Oh yeah, and it he says his that. eyes out. <laughs> yeah, I swapped. Well, you know, his eyes we plucked them out, but uh, these are glass eyes. I promise the eyes he used to have were the ones you described. The ones you just described. Yeah, <laughs> just now described. Did do you guys notice that the other three? So there's four people in that scene. There was a Tairashi with the fake head, uh, but the other three people each described a known dwarf. Yeah, because I the second one, the Mummer Show and Bravos. That's yeah. the one that stood out to yeah. me. Yeah, the third one I wasn't sure about. The third one is a Hermit in the Riverlands on a Haunted Hill, which I believe is the Ghost of High Heart. Oh, and the first one I think. Um, there is a dwarf who's associated with Old Town, and that's um, Penny and Oppo's father came from Old oh, Town. Yeah, 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 yeah. My note on that was these are Tyrion's potential futures he did not choose. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, was like, he could, I don't know which one I like the most. Yes. Maybe the Hermit. That sounds hermit nice. Riverlands. Yeah. That would be fun. Well, what I was amazed, actually, when I was reading and remembering that that's a reference to. The Mercy chapter, which is out there but not published yet. Right. I realized that it's um what, two thousand five or whenever, you know, whenever it was written. I mean, imagine there's a couple of things in this chapter that kind of lean forward to Winds of Winter material. And it's just amazing to me that he's had that much Winds of Winter stuff either already written or in his head or whatever going back 15 years or you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah keeping track of all those see the way these things these little tiny details just make their way through um and how hard it is yeah to keep track of stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah that's what i was thinking about the the mummer show and bravos thing um i was struck with that same idea of how do you at this point i mean that's what makes this series of George R. R. Martin such an unbelievable writer but it's also kind of like well if you knew that this was going to happen in Winds of Winter then how come you like where is it right. <laughs> <But> <laughs> that's my negative these, yeah you have all these little details view. worked out but just how hard the can things. the rest be <laughs> yeah, that whole deal with working you know it's like I don't know yeah <laughs> so Cersei kind of has an interesting thought that she she's like I can't believe there's so many dwarves in the world like, yeah well, <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and Lady Meriwether was like uh, a few less now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fewer than there were. Mm-hmm. Which is sad. And then she tries to get her to play hooky for a while. Mm-hmm. Cersei's having nothing of it. Got to go to court. If only Tywin could see me now. She's so proud. <sighs> yeah. Tywin would not be proud of her. I know. Can we get that <laughs> out of the way? <laughs> no. Tywin was trying like heck to get her out of King's Landing. I mean, he was going to marry her off to whoever he could find anyone Balon. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine yeah that would be awesome i want i want that point of view chapter when she's there in the iron Islands. oh my god yes <laughs> that would be fantastic i want tywin's point of view when he actually considered that seriously and he's like mm-hmm. yes i think that would be a good place for cersei and then immediately moves on Let's to send her to Pike. <laughs> planning all the deaths of his other enemies. <laughs> oh, that would have been good. Can we I don't want to leave this this situation with 
Ariane Waters and the Tyrells so quick though, because I mm. I just completely went over my head, and now it makes so much sense, especially with the way he was so proudly describing Sir Loras, just to throw a couple extra digs in there if he's truly on the side of the Tyrells. And it makes a lot of sense because we're making fun of how far away from Tywin's daughter, I guess, that she really is, or at least how mm. proud of her that he would be right now. He tried so hard to make a true alliance with the Tyrells mm -hmm. because I think he understood how willing they were to do fucked up shit too. And I think that's really the key of the, the power that they have so far. It's definitely the key of Cersei's power right now at this point, or at least to say fucked up shit to people that they've done fucked up shit too. Mm -hmm. Completely make fun of Pycelle as much as possible, etc. If this is really happening, then it's going to be really ugly in the book six and seven. Yeah, that's... It is. And, you know, yeah. or, or in, uh, Jamie warned her not to trust this guy, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's kind of like, oh, no. Is he her Dario? I mean, she's not kind of because, you know, she really digs him. But not as much. No, in not this as much. Chapter. Not, not as much. Not to say she's realized that he doesn't really, um, she's realized that he doesn't, he's not really like Rhaegar. That was, you know, the source of her initial infatuation because she thought he was like Rhaegar come again. I thought that maybe she just didn't like how he described Loras as brave after all. <laughs> maybe. She's like, oh, this guy's not very smart. It's like when George writes, Cersei misliked him on sight. This is the guy who brought the first head. Uh, Cersei misliked him on sight. Or, excuse me, the seventh head, but the first head in this chapter. But was willing to overlook his flaws if he actually had Tyrion's head inside the chest he carried. Well put. Well put. That's Cersei in a nutshell, isn't it? She's mm -hmm. willing to overlook say. a lot of things if uh, if it suits her. If you know, it'll help her. Cause. Pretty good summary. Mm -hmm. If the imp's head is in the chest, in that chest, I shall raise you to lordship and grant you rich lands and keeps. Titles were cheaper than dirt, and the Riverlands were full of ruined castles, standing desolate amidst untended fields and burned villages. So good luck. Yeah, it's just a bunch of desperate decay right now, it seems, when you read through the words. As we are reading through all these different people that are attempting to gain this prize, I just think it's so interesting and what a major sacrifice it is to travel all that way and stand in front of her mm -hmm. with some semblance of news. I just feel like that would be such a personal cost to even get there that wouldn't you only go if you really felt like you had some actual chance and so the fact that we get so many like randos is really interesting to me i was like didn't this cost you a lot <laughs> like don't you not have any money to do this kind of thing or travel this far i don't know maybe not everybody went that far but it's their version like a of holding a rat in one hand and a stick in the other They're like well, i'm just gonna throw this at the wall and see if it works yeah I yeah. guess so. Maybe people are just really prejudiced. Maybe that's what it means. That Oh, they're not going to be able to tell this dwarf apart from another. Well, yeah. I think that, you know, that plays into it. These people are like, oh, I saw a dwarf. That must be the one. I'll just tell her about the dwarf I saw. Yeah. Well, maybe they're like Cersei. They're like, I didn't know there were that many dwarves in the <laughs> <Yeah>. world. <laughs> right. it's like, Great job, everyone. We're doing really good. <laughs> just a few anecdotes. Um, Cersei says there are gargoyles and dragonstone that look more like the imp than this creature. That was pretty funny. Here's another anecdote. One said that the imp was hiding in an old town brothel, pleasuring men with his mouth. It made for a droll picture, but Cersei did not believe it for an instant. The second claim. Oh, that, then, yeah, we already read those. Hermit. So that was the first one, the brothel. Yeah. Which 
which how funny would that be if that was Penny and Penny's father? It could be possible. Tyrion, I like it. You know, Tyrion and Penny. I just I don't know. He's the only dwarf I could find that had a connection to Old Town. So I like it a lot. I'm just gonna headcanon that. Yeah, I'm on board. So <laughs> you got one buy-in. <laughs> Can we talk about the other conversations that Cersei has while she's seeing folks? Mm-hmm. AKA, I just want to mention her convo with Pycelle. Oh yeah, the best. Because yeah. I just she sees a couple people. Pycelle comes in. This guy, Lord Giles, is sick. Oh yeah, and Cersei's like, hmm. You know, listing off all the people who maybe poisoned him or did something or would have some vestment in him being sick. Anything that she might do to him, basically. Right. Yeah. And she's like, hmm, maybe Pycelle. He's like, maybe you took advantage. Let me find exactly what it is. Because it's so funny because he freaks out for good reason. Oh, He's yeah. so mean. I feel so bad for Pycelle. I don't always feel bad for him. She's but She's really mean to him. She's mean to him twice in this chapter. And um, She's just an old guy. An like, old man. You and know? So is Giles Rosby. Yeah, He's that's just true. an old man who was in his bed dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't not have my leave to die. Yeah. yeah. She, Pycelle's like, listen, I know that he coughs all the time. And she was like, yeah, he coughed through Robert's Rebellion, Robert's Rule, and blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, Cersei. Sorry, Your Grace. He's coughing up bits of his lungs now. Like, things have escalated. This is for real. <laughs> he does not have my leave to die. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. I want to find, where is this thing where he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Your Grace, who would want Lord Giles dead? His heir, perhaps, etc., etc., etc. An old enemy, a new one. You says the old man blanched. Your Your Grace, Japes. I I have purged his lordship, bled him, treated him. Blah 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 blah. He like goes on and on about all the stuff he's done. He's like, oh, I could never think of that. I'm so like, I would never ever do that. I just thought it was so funny. Yeah. And he, she's like, okay. Just the poor guy, like, stop messing with him. He's just a bit twitchy since Tyrion threw him in the black cells. I mean, can you blame him? He's old. How old is he? 84? 85? At first, four I said, and I said something like, Yeah, I said four and 80. I was like, Is he 480 years <laughs> yeah. old? <laughs> yeah, he is. Took me a second because I have that. Maybe the maesters have like some. No, they don't. They die. No, yeah. Here's a passage when he was talking about his age. His tongue flickered across his lips, or flicked, excuse me. I was but two and forty when the conclave called me. Kaith was eighty when they chose him, and Elendor was nigh on ninety. The cares of office crushed them, and both were dead within a year of being raised. I don't know, that might be suspicious to all you guys, maybe not. Marion came next, only six and sixty, but he died of a chill on his way to King's Landing. Afterward, King Aegon asked the citadel to send a younger man he was the first king i served and so he went there at 42 years old cersei goes and tommen will be the last right so if he's 84 that means that that he um went to court right before um right before summerhall mm-hmm. like right in the final year of aegon's so he only got one year with aegon yeah but there he was. So Pycelle, man, he's seen everything. That was one of my favorite parts of this chapter was when she turned the questions on to him. And I was like, wait a second. This guy's got so much fun information we can get out of. Let's ask him as many questions as possible. Let's ask him about what it was like to be there. Right. Yeah. And then she says stuff like this to him. What did I just say? Have your ears grown as feeble as your cock? Can you make me <laughs> such a potion or must I command Lord Kyburn to rectify another of your failures? <laughs> Not very appreciative of that wise, beardless man. He's, yeah. I mean, he's been around the block. Exactly. So. And then the knives. So then she dismisses him. 
And the conversation continues to spiral as she's eating dinner with Tommen, Mm. which I loved the moment where he's like, Tommen, or let's see if I highlighted it. I'm trying to look. Anyway, it describes Tommen, the kittens, playing at his feet. Mm -hmm. That was so sweet. But um, they're talking about Marjorie, and Cersei makes some comment about how she would love to tear Margie's Margie's, Marjorie's tongue out and Tommen's like don't say that you know you leave her tongue alone don't touch her I'm the king not you yeah which let's talk about striking a chord with Mm. with Cersei she's like I'm about to rip your tongue out I don't care how much I love you I'm the king Mm -hmm. I don't know it got me thinking because and I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts because I just feel like there's so many differences between book book Cersei and show Cersei and I feel like in the book I feel like in the show she very genuinely loves her kids and like she wouldn't lay a finger on them and she is much more kind and gentle with them Mm. um and maybe even more protective of them but I feel like in the book she doesn't quite have that same like she still is much more self-interested I don't know if you guys have picked up on that as well or if maybe I'm reading too much into it no I vehemently agree with you yeah, mm-hmm. I think Cersei does not love anyone but Cersei, including her kids. I mean, she thinks she loves her kids, um, but she sees her children as extensions of herself. Mm-hmm. They're just a mm-hmm. mirror. It was just in this chapter where she had a thought that, oh, she was looking at Tom and I think it was maybe at breakfast before they started talking. And mm-hmm. she was like, I'll never do anything but protect him and make sure that nothing bad ever happens to him for the rest of his life. It wasn't breakfast. Mm. But then like the next sentence was, so she sent Tommen off with Jocelyn Swift. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like- <laughs> Where's Tommen? It's like she feels that way because it benefits her, not because exactly. she cares about Tommen. Like the idea of it would be what a good mom is, maybe. Right. The idea yeah. of being a protective mother. But on the other hand, she thinks, you know, she's not going to let anything bad happen to him ever. But- the night before, when he had that, you know, little moment, little rebellious moment, she sent him off um, to bed with with instructions to have him whip pay the whipping boy un- yeah. himself, not just watch it, but to do the whipping himself until Pate was bleeding from both cheeks. And if he refused, um, Oswell was going to not Oswell. Here we go. <laughs> Let's count it. All right. Oswell. Osfried. Osney. Osbert. Whichever one is the King's Guard. Um, that one was going to call um, Tyburn and have Pate's tongue ripped out to teach yeah. him the, um, you know, the value of or of not being rebellious. Now, it's a sharp lesson. It's a total Tywin kind of thing to do, but it doesn't indicate that she's loving her child and then the very next morning after being so horrible to him she's like oh i just make sure nothing horrible ever happens to him unless i do it unless i do it yeah because that's good. okay yeah my she question got with, that, with him too sorry sorry my question with that is do you think that um do you think that's a specific punishment for tommen because she knows that he kind of has a much gentler spirit about him or do you think that that's something that she punished joffrey with as well and that is kind of what turned him into that's like i don't know question. if that's a punishment for joffrey but you know mm. 
I was just kind of thinking about that. I definitely think she could have used that same sort of tactic kind of across the board. You know, when usually when you have kids, you realize that your kids are different and you have to treat them differently. You know, right. a little bit. I mean, you have roles right. and stuff like that, but everybody has a different personality and to kind of get the best out of them, you, you're a little, you tailor your approach, I guess. Right. And I could see Cersei just being like, we're going Tywin style sharp lessons. That's what we do in this family. And, um, you know, poor little Tom and Joffrey would have been like, yes, yeah. we're going to yeah. whip the whipping The boy? punishment would be, you can't whip this. We're not going to whip someone, okay? He's like, but wait, you said I could whip someone. No. <laughs> that opens up the possibility that maybe the stories about Joffrey of just sort of always being intrinsically bad. Maybe she had a lot more to do with it than we know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's sad, if so. It makes Tom an even more of a miracle. Right? The precious mm-hmm. little boy. Mm-hmm. She just didn't have attention for him, maybe. She was on to other stuff. Or he just is He's a just beautiful, so pure soft heart. child. <laughs> Who loves kittens. You just yeah, yeah. just like cats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say you just really kids the kittens, right? I didn't want to call you out, but it's fine, I'll call myself out. <laughs> All this Oswell Osmond stuff made me think of that radio westeros episode i just did with you guys and i just realized that we we haven't like shouted that out at all on the podcast yet so hey thanks for inviting me on that and if you're listening to this you should probably listen to that yeah boom definitely that was our um i believe it was our 10th quiz episode um all about houses and we just gave a spoiler. Sort of. I don't <laughs> know. You have to, you have to, it's not a really direct answer. See if you but... can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. It was fun. I like the. I like doing the quizzes. Okay, I've got a quiz for you. Gray mist. Do you believe in it? In which? Gray mist. The theory. What is gray mist? It's. Uh, <laughs> we need to get Chloe back. It's the thousand eyes. It's. It's if you had Raven appearing. In oh, Grey yeah, Mist, yeah, 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 or potentially yeah, yeah, yeah. another foe, with that throughout the series, dating all the way back to uh, book one. Even have you heard the series, Jen? I have not. Oh, oh, oh man! Now I feel like I have to describe it for everyone, and I'm not going to be able to do yeah, it. I was it's gonna more say... of a feeling at this point. <laughs> I just failed everyone. <laughs> I'm not going to bail you out. No. It's fine. We'll it's fine. Just... If you're listening, well, I think you get the feeling it. too. Yeah. Well, just go Google it. Well, it was inside of this prophecy, and yeah. I think that we see it mostly in dreams. And so mm-hmm. I think I'm on the right track here. And mm-hmm. we know how Bran can travel, and we know how Brendan Rivers can travel, a.k.a. the Three-Eyed Raven mm-hmm. can travel mm-hmm. uh, through space and time and apparently everything in between. Um, some gray mist furls in this vision when Cersei and her friends are visiting Maggie the Frog. I think that's the, the last thing that we haven't talked about on this um, chapter so far mm-hmm. yes. just you know the biggest deal of the chapter when you don't know it's coming there it is and you've got pages and pages of exposition detailing a dream that cersei lannister is having as if that wasn't cool enough we learn about what may have made her such a terrible foe what makes her tick mm-hmm. um, i think it's really interesting to have it all laid out so concretely i think it's interesting to have her dreaming of it um, mm-hmm. because we also get her thoughts as she we see the regret that she has that she kind of acted the way that she did I guess um, she makes some comment along the way about how she um, 
should have listened. She should have listened to everyone. She should have run away. You know that she was a fool and she was young and she such so as she didn't have enough sense to be afraid of what she was getting herself into. And so to have that layer on top of this thing um, and this experience that she has as a kid, um, I think added a really interesting perspective on how this has changed the, her life trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that can lead us into a discussion that about whether or not, you know, did Cersei, is Cersei the way that she is because of this prophecy or did this prophecy really prophesy the way that she would be? You mm-hmm. know, I don't know if that's a question that we can necessarily answer, but um, mm-hmm. we come up with I think two of the biggest questions that we have with Cersei's trajectory going forward, which is who the Valonqar is and who is the younger, more beautiful thing <laughs> that comes into <laughs> her life. And <laughs> and um, I think after reading this for the first time, and once you understand this, um, it just really reframes the way that we interact with her as a character um, for better, for worse. And so... I think that there's a lot to unpack. Definitely. So who do we think Valonqar is? <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree I with don't Cersei know. on it, any of these issues. Well, the ones that are obvious, you know, but she gets it wrong. She's just a classic, you know, prophecy's going to bite your prick off mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, because I think just trying to like mold your life to avoid a prophecy is a big mistake is that why maggie the frog was so arrogant in her response like all right you're gonna regret this Mm. because you were maybe gonna force this to be more true than it ever was or maybe the truth didn't begin until you forced the hand in this yeah Yeah, maybe it would have been different if you wouldn't have come and forced me to do this in Mm -hmm. the way that you did something like that yeah because she kind of came and she was arrogant right from the start and Mm -hmm. demanded it and you know then you take that personality and obviously that person's going to try to make it come true or make it not come true you know right the whole thing about will i marry the prince no you'll marry the king and so she goes off thinking oh you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's cool i'm gonna marry rhaegar after he becomes the king so you know that probably colored a lot of the way she acted um mm-hmm. about things um she's thought about the kids and couldn't figure it out and she moved on but then obviously at some point convinced herself that she should suspect Tyrion. she just always only... hated Tyrion. yeah it's yeah, like, yeah. it adds fuel to the fire she always loathed him i think you know the idea that when she found out what a valonqar was that her, imagine her little brother would yeah. Racing home after she murders her friend to look up in a dictionary mm-hmm. what Valonqar actually means. Yeah. <laughs> I love that about um, Malara Heatherspoon, is your, the, where she says, Baggy, she's so awesome. She's like, your death is here tonight. Can oh, you God, smell right? her breath? She's very that close. That was so good. She's right there. It's Cersei. She's going to throw you down a well as soon as you walk out of here. <laughs> tonight is the night. <laughs> oh, dear. So do you think it was a guess or it was real prophecy? Or do you think Cersei did it because she wanted to? She she did it. It's funny because it's right away. She goes right into action trying to forestall this prophecy because I think she 
I think it comes later, but the way this is revealed, it's so, you know, over so little bits and pieces of it. Malara is going to, um, it says if nobody talks, if we don't talk about it, it'll never come true. Right. So I think, you know, that Cersei's just like, okay, we're, no one is ever going to talk about it because it was just you and me and I'm going to th- push you down a well and then it won't come true, right? Because no one knows about it. She was smart it. enough not yeah. to trust her though, you know? Yeah. I just think, wow. Just, um, yikes. <laughs> That's what she's capable of at this young age. Oh, yeah. Wow, that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then sets everything in motion. Yeah. Just shows how it happens, you know? Is she a palm reader? that was able to assess the situation and know that Cersei was the kind of person that would go back, you know, like based on the threat that she threw down mm. to wake her up. Mm-hmm. Do you think that she was just like, all right, well, if I say something like this, if I, what am I talking about? It was definitely magic, right? Definitely blood, blood magic. magic. Right. There's shadow babies in this book. I'm just looking well, and for the. She draws blood. I mean, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely it blood magic. Doesn't, is it Pycelle or Kyburn who says to her about blood magic? Kyburn. Later? Kyber because she's really only the most open with him, right? Yeah. She asks Pycelle, but then she mocks him and sends him away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. He has his answer wasn't good enough for her. She's like, all right, just go. Like, don't meddle with the future. And she's like, never mind. I've already meddled with the future. I need a better answer. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) too late. Too late. I I loved (laughs) Kyburn's response. He's such a fun character. She's like asking him about all this stuff. And instead of looking at her like she's a little bit crazy, he's like, a woods witch. Hmm. Most are harmless creatures. They know a little herb craft and some midwifery, but elsewise, hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way he's so, he's so matter of fact about everything. <laughs> and he's interested in the dark and the strange and hearing about a prophecy. It's like almost like he expected it. Like, oh, yeah, like this is what you're dealing with, right? You know what I really liked about the conversation when Cersei's like the small folk used to call her Maggie and he's like, Magi? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, that's how you say it. Yeah. So that was, I yeah. like that. That's clever too, because it also takes it in the. It's a um, almost meta because it connects for us, you know. The, Mary, yeah, you know. So all of a sudden we're like, oh, yeah. she was one of those, right? Yeah, you know? I like that and a lot. That, it's a really neat callback. And like how simple it can be. Otherwise, it could be Maggie in a different area of the world. You know, when no one has any context, it could just be a person that you go to. And, uh, you know, has all these spices and has a cabin, but still has this power. It really decorates, I think, Planetos. George is mm-hmm. pretty good at writing. <laughs> pretty good at world building. Yeah. I would say. The situation with the prophecy, uh, especially with all the, Lannister, or not the Lannister stuff, the uh, Tyrell stuff that we talked about earlier is so fascinating to me. Yeah, I'm... We're very clearly at the unraveling, I think, of Cersei's storyline. And so, I mean, we, are, we know that we are. And so I'm looking forward to continuing to see that play out because I think that we're finally going to get some satisfaction after having to watch her run around doing what she's been doing for so long. Um, I think that we're going to get our due, which I'm very much looking forward to. So nearing conclusion of the chapter... Who do you believe Cersei's Valonqar is? And do you believe that the prophecy, based on the... I don't want to lead the question. Never mind. Do you believe mm. it's going to happen? And who is it? Yes. Hannah, do you want to go or do you want me to go? I don't mind. I think we both agree that it's going to happen. We both agree with that. I mean, I think it's Jamie. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. 
Yeah. So we I think that like sometimes people see that as a cliche answer, mm. but I just think that that's the most plausible trajectory. And people can make the argument that he doesn't have hands, but mm. I just <laughs> yeah. like I don't buy that. So uh, I definitely think that it's is him. such a spur in that conundrum right you're like well he lost a hand so hmm. but he actually thinks about strangling um is it red ronnet or some he thinks about strangling somebody with his golden hand in this in feasts at some point i hope mm-hmm. that it's red ronnet and i think it probably is the dark star of the north as we call him yeah <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But it's definitely the most, you know, the most poetic solution. And yeah. the way the information is revealed that, you know, it's very sneaky, though. Oh, we mysteriously know that she was born first. Right. You know, that information is kind of leaked out in the same sort of patchwork grouping of hints about this whole thing that we get over the course of, you know, this book and the last one, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, Tywin gets choked out by a hand of gold, and so does she. And so does she. Little Tywin. Always Tywin cold. Yeah, just like she she wants to be so much like her father, and here we mm-hmm. go. Here we go. The one that was going to take care of all of her foes for her destroys mm-hmm. her greatest foe, herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which I think, you know, it's. I think that it's so... I love her paranoia about Tyrion, which I think is going to make what happens, our guess, between her and Jamie even more um, mm-hmm. intense as she comes to that realization that this, her brother, who she was so afraid of her whole life and just upended everything to get rid of, um, that wasn't what she needed to be worried about in terms of the prophecy. And I think that that's going to um, add an interesting mm-hmm. layer to um, everything that ends up happening. So I don't care yeah. if it's cliche. Like you said, I think it's poetic. So <laughs> yes, sometimes poetry is like that. Yeah. But Zach, what do you think? Oh, sorry. No, Zach, I want to know what Zach thinks. I think that it's Jamie too. Although it, might, it could just be Tyrion, you know? Hmm. But yeah. I, I love the, the, you know, the symbolism there or mm-hmm. whichever fancy word works there. Yeah. Connect, connecting all of it, you know? Well, in support of it being Jamie, let's talk about the younger, more beautiful person. Okay, I mean, so, he is gorgeous. <laughs> well, so this is jumping ahead a little bit because we got this own that we're going to read in a little bit. Can I just read okay. it now? Okay, I'm going to read it now because I want your guys' thoughts. Um, Jen Calhoun tweeted at us her own, said, For Cersei, own to the origins of my favorite theory that not only is Jamie the Valencar, but he will do it to save or avenge Brienne, who is another younger and more beautiful, to cast you down and take all you hold dear. Yes. Which love I it. love it. And so I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are on on this idea. Well, she's called Brienne the Beauty. Oh. For a reason. Um, I think it's so great. Not just to make fun of her, but because she is beautiful. She's beautiful inside. And Jamie is learning that about her. And Jamie, we know, is the thing that Cersei, the only thing Cersei loves in the world, although that's arguably because she sees him as an extension of herself. Um, so the only thing she she holds dear is Jamie. 
That is so complicated, and I love it. So how exactly does she supplant Cersei? Is the idea that she sort of, by virtue of being such a person that she is, is able to give Jamie the perspective that eventually frees him from this, Mm -hmm. I guess, state of mind? You know, we see his small changes from White Sword Tower and beyond. Mm -hmm. Is that, did it already start, and we're just seeing it maybe cascade in another direction and perhaps in winds or in dream spring, it'll be even more like amplified if they see each other again. Yeah. I think it's just, it's really just the Jamie redemption arc. And by taking, casting her down and taking all she holds dear, it's Cersei's the one who introduces the whole idea of it being a queen. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't say Maggie never said that this person was a queen just mm-hmm. that it was somebody younger and more beautiful who would cast you down and take all of you all you hold dear. And if if you think about it, her relationship with Jamie is really the only thing that she's ever um, valued in her life. Um, so for her to be cast down in, in Jamie's estimation, and for Jamie to see her finally for what she is, and um, to value another woman over her. Um, and it doesn't have to even be romantically. It just, he really does admire Brienne. And he, I think he's going to choose her that or that path over the path of Cersei. It could also maybe be romantic, though. It could be. But it doesn't <laughs> have like to Canada be. Sounds like canon to me, guys. <laughs> this all sounds very much no, like canon to me. I'm giving, <laughs> I agree that it does not have to be romantic. Give two but... different, you know, possible paths for this. Yeah. <laughs> I like it a lot, though. I think that yeah. it's such an interesting theory. And I, I think it's the best explanation of because I think it also plays into this idea of she's so worried about Tyrion. Well, she's also so worried about, I mean, rightly so, someone like Marjorie, but she's so worried mm. about Marjorie yes. and Sansa, where it's like, you know, sh- sure, but these aren't the people in the prophecy that you need to be concerned with. I, I think that that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite theory so far this episode. Well, you know, this what you say about this, um, her because it, it's really the foundation of her whole plot against Marjorie. Her conviction that Marjorie is, that the younger, more beautiful person is a queen. Mm-hmm. So then she, you know, therefore assumes that it's Marjorie. And then when she talks to Kyburn, you know, he says to her like this very cryptic, I think you know what you have to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's totally me. So he's the palm reader. You know, he's the new Maggie the Frog. Right. It's just egging her on to go ahead and do something horrible, um, which turns out to kind of be her own downfall. Yeah. Rather than, you know, listen to your heart, let's just make a feud with the other most powerful family in the realm. That's legit. Yeah. Kyburn loves chaos. Yeah. And we yeah. all know that chaos is a ladder. So we yeah. know that. Yeah. I think there was a little contrast there to um actually her where it ends with her the, so this the seeds of her plotting against Marjorie. Um there's a little piece back in the Danny chapter where she thinks about um Dario, I think it was in that chapter, Dario um, urging her to um, plot against the masters, like mm-hmm. get them all in one place and then kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a just, I just thought there's almost like a little synchronicity between those two. Danny says 
Cersei thinks about it and goes, nah. And Cersei's like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Danny <laughs> sort of turns into the things that look more difficult. And she realizes that doing the same thing over and over might not be the way out of here. Mm-hmm. So Cersei is, uh, she just got it all wrong, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah. Not looking too good. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> I'm interested to see what brute force she, she uses to stay stick around longer, though. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, it, it could be actually that whole thing that Danny thinks about. You know, get them all in one place and then do something horrible. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the adaptation is kind of? pretty close to where George is actually headed then. It it could be. And especially when you look at that, like that idea is first floated in this kind of parallel chapter, you know? Oh, get people in a church because she's thinking about her wedding. um, And then whatever, slaughter them. I mean, it does give you, well, it gave me pause. I thought, well, same. Yeah. There's an interesting thought. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. so who's getting married next in King's Landing? Mm. Damien and Brian. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we do have a lot of sparrows. Maybe there'll be some kind of religious rite soon. Or could the, I mean, it could be the, well, I don't know if the trial will be at the Sept, but there could be a big, I, I don't know. That would be a good time. It seems like that would be almost too quick, but because I think that's imminent in you know, at the end of dance, I think mm-hmm. Marjorie's trial is imminent, and I don't think Cersei's had enough time to plot anything. And we're going to see all this happen before all of our friends from the East are coming, splashing to the shores of Westeros, mm-hmm. we assume, or at least breaking into the knowledge of mm. landing, because how wild would it be for her to do it, learning about what's coming? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. she would use that as an opportunity to unleash hell, you know? Mm-hmm. As like a last ditch effort of like, it won't be them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how it changes, though, if the Tyrells are using this Loris Tyrell story as a ruse and are planning something more. Like, how many, mm-hmm. like, who will they really have, you know, mm. in that situation? Right. If Loris, right. maybe he survives in a strange way or something. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be. I think it'll play out much differently. I think she may, she may do the same thing, but I, th- I'm pretty sure it would play out pretty differently. Yeah, Lady Glenn, if you want to talk to us for the next four or five hours tonight, I think we could just theorize about the rest of the <laughs> series we'll, if you want. We'll figure this. Out. <laughs> yeah, we'll come up with definitive answers. So, do you guys want to go to Owns? Let's go to Owns. Owns for the Cersei chapter. Are we going to start with Cersei? Just right into it. I don't know. We don't have to. Sometimes we do that, right? Yeah, no, me totally. I'm totally in. Mm-hmm. My own is from the beginning of the chapter when we learn that Tommen gives Loras a hug as he rides off before battle. Oh, so nice. Because it's just like so sweet. I just love Tommen. <laughs> Tommen really likes Loras too. Tommen loves Loras. Like Thomas just really looks up to him and he, it's just, it's sweet to think of him giving a hug to this guy who he cares so much about who's off knowing what his mom is trying to accomplish. So own to that. That's sweet. Tom and Tugs. Uh, my own is to Jane Farman. You're like, who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Intrigued. <laughs> the third person in the um in the trio that went to Maggie the Frog's tent, mm. she was the one that got the 
F out of there. What a, what a good <laughs> own. That's really good. And Cersei even thinks she was the wise one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she has like a dozen children and married right. someone very nice and they have yes. a great home right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although they're on Fair Isle. So to be fair, I think that Ironborn could be a danger. But Ouch. Yeah, there's better um, places to be. But, but, but until yeah. then... But until then, she's um, she's been pretty lucky. So, Jane Farman. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to give my own to Sir Osmond for his really mean joke about his colleague, Boros Blunt, when Cersei <laughs> asks, it's the very end of the chapter, and she's making a, a two-level plan to turn people against who, each other, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, can your brothers defeat Boros Blunt in a fight? specifically Oswell, I think. It might have been Osney. You know, it's hard Osney. to get yeah, separated. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, Boros the belly? Sir Osmond chortled, which a chortle, when you really think about it. You know, he, he didn't, it wasn't a small laugh. He was truly like, he thought this was actually funny. He's what, 40, 50, half drunk, half the time, fat even when he's sober. <laughs> So good. (laughs) Such a good line. Such a good insult. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Boros the belly. All right. On to Daenerys. Wait, also honorable mention to Bronn for moving on up in Castle Stokeworth. Yeah, shout out to him. Oh, yeah. He's a deranged man, but he's, you know, he's Bronn. He's out there doing his thing. Yeah. 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 Any more that you got? No, I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm just going to give you time. (laughs) No. I'm going to give my Daenerys own to... Something we briefly mentioned, but uh, he calls Sir Barristan Sir Grandfather, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. Yeah. So own that to is that. Good. I think it's very cute. I give my own to um, to Eerie um, because she had the best comeback to Jiqui when they were <laughs> they were fighting over Ricaro and how hot he is. Um, Jiqui uh, called Eerie, you know, a boy. She's like, oh, you're just a boy because she's little and skinny. Um <laughs> Eerie's comeback says, it is It is known you are a cow. Ricaro does not bed with cows. That was like the greatest burn. Ricaro must be a hot commodity right now. Seriously. He's turning blood against blood. Yeah. I can't even imagine. He just went away and he like grew a foot and grew a beard and got some bells in his hair. And the girls were all like, woo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. Kind of want to give my own to the Carthine Camelry, but I feel like we already talked about it enough ridiculously <laughs> and then so i think i'm gonna give my own to that moment that i think you tried to talk about earlier lady gwen where shave pate was like this is old news and stale and dario <laughs> shoots back he goes your mother said the same of your father's kisses <laughs> that's dark man <laughs> i mean dark. obviously that happened because you're humans but you didn't have to pull it out on the shave pate he's got a hard enough life as it is <laughs> Burn. well those are our owns and now it's time to read everybody else's Jerry from Mayo at Unloused on Twitter writes, Danny owned to Belwas. Everyone else just cursed Brown Ben Plum or vaguely pledged to kill him. Belwas had a recipe in his back pocket. Strong Belwas thumped his scarred belly with his fists and swore to eat Brown Ben's heart with plums and onions. Jerry, I love it. <laughs> with <Yeah>. sides, too. <laughs> Cersei owned to Maggie. Ever since that fateful night all those years ago, she has figured in everything Cersei has done. Deep down in her heart, I think Cersei realizes she cannot escape her fate no matter how hard she tries to avoid it. Hashtag don't mess with the prophetess. Mm. Also, I want to add to your own, Jerry, don't ever wake a sleeping sorceress. Mm. That's also very good. Valid. I love Bellis's recipes. 
It sounds like a tasty mixture, actually, plums and onions. Plums. It's brown band plum. I didn't get it the first time, and then I oh, I get it, it now. Like, oh shit, <laughs> Belwis, you're you're a brilliant, a genius. You're That's a genius. funny. Yes. Um, I'll get the next one. We have Jose Pereira on Twitter. He says to me Sunday for hearing the Astapori scratching at the walls the night before when they're a mile away. There are many theories about this. Dragons below the pyramids nesting. She's a faceless man. Skaha's tunnels. <laughs> My favorite, that she's an unbeknown telepath. It seems far-fetched, <laughs> but remember, Chekhov's gun principle. Nothing is introduced in a book or in a movie if it's not going to be used later. Truth. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We kind of touched on that, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen Calhoun at Calhouner. Uh, own to Erie and Jigui for putting up with the worst kind of girl at a sleepover, Daenerys. <laughs> <laughs> Who basically calls dibs on Ricaro when poor Erie and Jiqui were just trying to talk about how he suddenly came back hot after summer <laughs> vacation. Hashtag how rude. Yeah, that's true too. Um, and for Cersei, own to the origins of my favorite theory that not only is Jamie the Valencar, but that he will do it to save or avenge Brienne, who is another younger and more beautiful to cast you down and take all you hold dear. Hashtag Brienne the beauty. Jen, I love you. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that I'm Jen sent so that glad. in. Yes. Um, Thank you so much. So we could talk about it. Yeah. Wonderful. Speaking of Brienne the beauty, Brienne of Tarth, at Beauty Brienne on Twitter. Crowd favorite writes, for of Cersei, Twitter fame. more of a question than an own. If she hadn't gone to Maggie the Friggy, <laughs> would the Valonqar prophecy still happen? Would Cersei still be Cersei? Good question. Hmm. And for Danny, Tyrion, Jiqui, and they're arguing over Ricaro. Get my own death, war, famine, conspiracies. Dot dot dot. Thirst. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a chapter really covered a lot of things. (laughs) That's so funny. That part obviously stood out. (laughs) So funny. Oh yeah. It was kind of like the hinge of the chapter. So (laughs) yeah, thirst. Oh, so good. And last but not least, we have Amy Calhoun who says, Own in Danny's chapter to Dario for somehow making Danny forget she spent the day in diarrhea war camp <laughs> and getting a chance to ride the dragon. Whoa. And in Cersei's chapter to Braun for offering his competition until he gets his castle. Book Braun is a bad dude. Shout out Calhouns. Come mm-hmm. to full force. Diarrhea war camp. Can we start a new <laughs> band, guys? And we'll just do that. <laughs> I do not want that to be my band name. <laughs> West Rock band name. It's a one man band. Yeah, you're right. You. <laughs> you're right. Speed metal. Could you Diary imagine? Yeah, camp. it's got to be speed metal, right? <laughs> it really has to be. <laughs> oh man, that was a lot of fun. That was These awesome. good owns. Thanks to everyone who sent in your own to us, and uh, yeah, thank you. If you want to send in an own for our next episode, you can find us on Twitter at Game of Owns. It's probably the best way to send those in, or you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com. Next on the podcast, two chapters without a name, but so much in the name, The Prince of Winterfell and mm. The Watcher. So amped. Dun, dun, Do I say dun, that every dun. time? I really mean it this time. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You can find our reading order if you want to follow along. If you want to catch up, you can find that at afeastwithdragons.com. Lady Gwen, are you thinking of the the front door of the Mines of Moria when you hear the Watcher? Or is it just me? The Watcher, yes. Can I throw out a Lord of the Rings reference and will it work? Let's yeah. try. <laughs> There's so many. I'm actually just, 
like George himself, I reread Lord of the Rings. Not yearly, but frequently. And I just reread, well, I'm in the process, but I just finished this two towers and there are so many. <laughs> it's really interesting to reread it when you're deep into A Song of Ice and Fire because you're like, oh my God. <laughs> I should do a parallels episode. There's so many. It's crazy. It's crazy. Let's do it. Thoughts. Thank you so much for joining us today, especially right after we had the crossover episode a few days ago. It was like, we have to, we have yes. to do this. No, this was great. Um, thank you for asking me. I was, uh, this was fun. Yeah, of course. Loved doing it. And thank yeah. you for rereading the chapters before you joined us, unlike our friend Aziz, yeah. who just skims What's the, the matter chapters with your Z's? before joining us. <laughs> Calling you out. because you have the books memorized. Right. That's the thing. It's, not, it's hardly a call out. It's something that we talk about where it's like, do we know someone that just has them memorized? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, do you want to plug where people can find you? Uh, sure. You can find us at radiowesteros.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Radio Westeros. And, you know, we're everywhere also on YouTube and Facebook or Tumblr or wherever you do your social media-ing. Um, but, yeah, we have uh, Song of Ice and Fire character analysis, mostly podcasts. And um, we have just finished our, about to release our 39th podcast in four years. So we are way behind you guys, and we have ten quiz episodes. Well, I wanted to ask if you could maybe share with some. Uh, I wanted to ask maybe if you could share with everyone listening the process of putting together your episodes. I find it so fascinating, mm. and I'm not sure how much you want to divulge to yeah. everyone, but you're putting out an episode every six weeks, and they're roughly would you say like two and a half hours on yeah. average a piece outside of the quiz right. episodes. Yeah. The amount of work that goes into Radio Westeros is so inspirational. It's so it's got to be so different than coming on this thing. And we're like, so what do you think about the bloody flux? Huh? <laughs> uh, but we but we love doing stuff like this because this is just like a it's like a night at Radio Westeros. Yeah, Central where we're like, right. this is just right. hanging, hanging, talking about the bloody flux. Um, but we, you know, we have a fully scripted podcast are basically full you know we write 20,000 words um for each episode roughly you guys are writing essays of work for each episode yeah. it's when so you put cool. it all together you know we figured out i mean some of our earlier episodes were not as um we're not quite as long but and some of them may have been a bit longer so you know we've done 39 episodes and we figure we've written about 700,000 words which is amazing a pretty big book if we were to put it all together but anyways it all comes out to a couple of hours of audio every six weeks and um, we just love doing it you guys are doing amazing work i love the the individual attention that you're giving on episodes uh, that are so thematic mm -hmm. it's those deep dives it's kind of like uh a, like a lesson mm -hmm. you know a lesson and but instead of it being related to something i don't know useful in the world it's this made-up story that we all <laughs> yeah. love so much that we're pulling all of these real world cues out of I, it's so fun that you guys put so much work into it i hope that you and yoke boy are infinitely proud of you know the last four years mm -hmm. and i know based on our conversations we have so much excitement building for the release of the next two books oh yes we're ready we are ready for releasing next book yes and then whatever comes after that the period of time in between books six and seven 
We're ready. So if you could pick just a <laughs> random question at the end of the podcast, if you could choose the spinoffs yourself that HBO is mm. doing uh, on top of Game of Thrones, what would be your ideal era and story? Mm. And you can't say Sir Lonnie of Ib. That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would just love to know his story. <laughs> really. Me too, honestly. <laughs> How did he become a knight? How did Wellbones become so curved? Right. How did hmm. he learn such fine jousting skills? But no, I think I, you know, I would really like um, the conquest. Um, I think would be great. More on that. I really like Ashea's idea about, you know, Nymeria mm -hmm. or something, you know, or something along that line, those lines, you know, um, something from Essos. There's so much material there that could be taken and turned into something. There'd be a lot of freedom to add detail within the structure of a lot of the background that's in the world book. So, um, But if we're sticking with Westeros, I think I would really like to see the conquest. Lots of dragons. HBO would love it. So would the folks that they're paying to do their CGI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, are we still going to ask questions at the very end of the podcast? Are still the podcast when I have to pee this bad? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lady Gwen, for coming on. Really, it's yep, been a it's blast. It's been the best. And we hope the Oak Boy comes soon. I know he's nearby. He's nearby. He's He wants to come. So you just go ahead and ask him. I've loved, loved being here. So uh, thanks for having me. And congratulations on your 400th episode. Yay. Thanks. That's pretty cool. <laughs>